1: Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I. Or download the app today.
2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the nation's capital is an armed fortress as America anxiously awaits the next 72 hours. With just three days to go before Wednesday's inauguration ceremony, Washington, D.C. looks more like a war zone than a setting for one of America's most cherished celebrations of democracy. Monuments. Bridges, buildings, and streets surrounding the White House, the U.S. Capitol, and the National Mall are surrounded with an unprecedented amount of security. 25,000 National Guardsmen have been authorized to help local and federal law enforcement protect against threats from domestic violent extremists in the days leading up to, and just after, January 20th. Authorities are not taking any chances after the nightmare January 6th Capitol attack. CHILLING FOOTAGE SHOT BY A NEW YORKER MAGAZINE REPORTER WHO HAPPENED TO FOLLOW SOME EXTREMISTS AS THEY BROKE INTO THE CAPITOL HAS JUST BEEN MADE PUBLIC. That day has had dramatic repercussions about the disastrous security response, lack of communication between law enforcement agencies and President Trump, who was impeached again by the House, this time for inciting an insurrection. Yes. Incoming president Joe Biden is already looking ahead to the overwhelming challenges he faces fixing a battered economy, restoring our reputation around the world and repairing the deep racial and cultural divisions within America. But his first priority, according to our CBS News poll, taking aggressive action to help bring the COVID-19 pandemic to an end. We'll talk with President-elect Biden's pick for the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, and former FDA Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, West Virginia Republican Governor Jim Justice, and St. Paul, Minnesota Mayor Melvin Carter will also be with us. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Tensions are running high here in Washington and all around the country as President Donald Trump's term comes to an end and former Vice President Joe Biden's term as president is set to begin. We've seen tumultuous political times before in our history, but not like these. We begin this morning with Chief Justice and Homeland Security correspondent Jeff Pegues. Jeff.
3: Margaret, the law enforcement presence that is in place right now is unprecedented. And U.S. officials tell us the greatest threat to this event is coming from domestic violent extremists. That is Americans seeking to harm fellow Americans. There has been heightened security in Washington since the deadly attack on the Capitol by violent extremists on January 6th. NEW FOOTAGE RELEASED THIS MORNING BY THE NEW YORKER MAGAZINE SHOWS MORE EVIDENCE THE CAPITOL POLICE WERE UNDERMANNED AND OVERWHELMED BY A MOB OF ATTACKERS, SOME OF WHOM MADE IT INTO THE SENATE CHAMBER. THERE'S GOT TO BE SOMETHING IN HERE. We can f- THEY PHOTOGRAPHED PAPERS IN A BINDER ON A DESK APPEARING TO BELONG TO TEXAS REPUBLICAN SENATOR TED CRUZ.
4: I THINK CRUZ WOULD WANT US TO DO THIS. So. Yeah, absolutely. I THINK WE'RE GOOD.
3: The rioters appear intent on a coup and harming U.S. government officials. It's video and social media evidence similar to this that's helped the FBI across the country identify suspects. So far, more than 100 people have been taken into custody. And there are about 300 cases against rioters. The current threat landscape is showing the prospect for more violence in the coming days as a tsunami of information is being sent to law enforcement. We are seeing an extensive amount uh, of concerning online chatter
0: because one of the real challenges in this space is trying to distinguish what's aspirational
5: versus what's intentional.
3: Threats are not only aimed at Washington, Potential targets mentioned last week in an FBI bulletin warned that armed protests are being planned at all 50 state capitals from January 16th through January 20th. New intel warns of a possible QAnon event in Denver later today as residents there board up downtown shops. In Minnesota, there are roadblocks at the state capitol in St. Paul. We are uh, turning over every rock and looking under every bush to see if there is anything else out there. But the potential for violence doesn't end this week. Officials are preparing for a possible threat to Sacramento next month. And while the threats persist, some of the chatter online seems to be cooling, and that may be because of the massive law enforcement and National Guard presence that is armed. Margaret.
2: Jeff Pegues, thank you. And tonight on 60 Minutes, Scott Pelley will report on efforts to keep the inauguration safe. He spoke to Acting Deputy Homeland Security Secretary Ken Cuccinelli. Here's a preview.
6: We will never give up. We will never concede. It
4: but there's also the dilemma that the security is commanded by President Trump who encouraged the attack on the Capitol and has relentlessly worked to stop the inauguration
0: of Joe Biden. Who does the National Guard answer to? They answer through DOD. They can have— To the, the president? That's the chain of command. The if whole executive— If he orders the them to stand down, will they stand say, down? It, well, you're going to have to ask them, but that's unimaginable. If the president orders DHS to stand down, will you stand down? We're going to complete our jobs. There's not a there's not a stand down. We have a statutory mission. We're going to perform under all circumstances, and I think that hypothetical is uh, not going to happen. It's
4: unimaginable. A lot of things are unimaginable in Washington these days, and we don't have a very good track record. Well, in the Department taking of the president's Security, word on things. In the so, Department of Homeland Security, my, we're, my in, the is, Look, you know, the we're in the habit. point is, are you going to follow the president or are you going to follow the Constitution we all in your swore, role now?
0: We all swore an oath to the Constitution. That is first and foremost and we take homeland security very very seriously we deal with a lot of curveballs of all kinds and yet we march forward to keep the american people as safe as we possibly can
2: we turn now to the chairman of the house intelligence committee adam schiff good morning to you mr chairman Good morning. There is a very visible security presence on the streets here in the nation's capital right now. What is your understanding of the threat level in the days ahead?
7: Well, it's very high, and you're absolutely right. Uh, It reminds me of visiting Baghdad, going to the green zone and seeing uh, so much uh, military presence and barricades. I never thought I would see that uh, in our own capital, or that it would be necessary, but there is a profound threat from domestic violent extremists. Of the nature we saw on January 6th. Uh, there are people coming to the Washington, D.C. area. They are bringing uh, weapons. Uh, and we see threats to capitals all over the country, all 50 state capitals. Uh, now, I think the inauguration will proceed and it will proceed safely, but there will be gatherings of individuals, and those gatherings could t- turn violent. Uh, so uh, there's a very high level of risk.
2: Capitol Hill police confirmed this week that they are investigating whether members of Congress gave uh, unauthorized or unsanctioned tours that could have provided reconnaissance support to those who then attacked the Capitol days later. Uh, There are supporters of QAnon uh, among elected and sitting lawmakers. Do you have any sense of whether there was uh, support that fellow members aided the attacks?
7: I DON'T KNOW THE ANSWER TO THAT, uh, MARGARET. Uh, OBVIOUSLY, IT'S DEEPLY IMPORTANT THAT WE FIND OUT AND THAT IF THERE ARE MEMBERS OF CONGRESS THAT ARE COMPLICIT uh, BEYOND the, THE COMPLICITY OF CHALLENGING THE ELECTION AND PROPAGATING THE PRESIDENT'S LIES, uh, BUT MORE SPECIFICALLY INVOLVED IN HELPING uh, INDIVIDUALS DO RECONNAISSANCE, THEY NEED TO BE HELD ACCOUNTABLE IN THE in the STRONGEST WAY THAT WE CAN. Um, ALONG WITH uh, MY uh, FELLOW uh, CHAIRS, WE ARE BEGINNING AN INVESTIGATION INTO WHAT WENT WRONG. Uh, into the intelligence failures. And I think there's a massive intelligence and security failure here that needs to be fully investigated. And we hope to get answers to these questions.
2: What about your fellow lawmakers who sit on the committees that oversee the Capitol Hill police, for example? Do they bear some responsibility as well?
7: Well, they'll be doing their own investigation as well. The, The particular lane I'm focused on is the intelligence. What did we know before the attack of uh, the, the likelihood of uh, violence uh, against the Capitol that day was that intelligence disseminated. If it was, why wasn't it made use of? Um, but uh, we're also going to be examining the, the Capitol Police and its structure and its leadership and what changes need to be made there. Uh, and I have every confidence that uh, Zoe Lofgren and the House Administration Committee will perform those responsibilities along with Benny Thompson and Homeland Security and other committees.
2: HAVE YOU SEEN ANY EVIDENCE OF FOREIGN SUPPORT, FINANCIAL OR OTHERWISE, FOR ANY OF THESE DOMESTIC ORGANIZATIONS INVOLVED IN THE SIEGE?
7: WELL, WE ARE GOING TO TRY TO FOLLOW THE MONEY. Uh, THAT'S A CRITICAL PART OF ANY INVESTIGATION. I KNOW CAROLYN MALONEY HAS TAKEN A PARTICULAR INTEREST IN THAT ISSUE. uh, AND THAT IS, WHO WAS FUNDING THIS? WHO WAS SUPPORTING THIS? uh, HOW MUCH WERE THEY INVOLVED IN WHAT uh, ULTIMATELY TOOK PLACE ON JANUARY 6TH? Uh, following the money is uh, a a vital part of uh, our investigative plan uh, that is the the congress broadly uh, and any investigation into a a tragedy this substantial
2: in your role uh, on the committee you have some oversight of the intelligence uh, community sue gordon who i know you know uh, one of the nation's top intelligence professionals for decades wrote an op-ed yesterday in which she said President Trump is a security threat himself, and when he leaves office, he should be denied access to intelligence briefings. Would you urge the Biden administration to do that?
7: Absolutely. There's no circumstance uh, in which this president should get another intelligence briefing, not now, uh, not in the future. Uh, I don't think he can be trusted with it now, uh, and in the future, he certainly can't be trusted. Indeed. THERE WERE, uh, I THINK, ANY NUMBER OF INTELLIGENCE PARTNERS OF OURS AROUND THE WORLD uh, WHO PROBABLY STARTED WITHHOLDING INFORMATION FROM US BECAUSE THEY DIDN'T TRUST THE PRESIDENT uh, would, would, uh, WOULD SAFEGUARD THAT INFORMATION or PROTECT THEIR SOURCES AND METHODS. AND THAT MAKES US LESS SAFE. Um, mm-hmm. WE'VE SEEN THIS PRESIDENT POLITICIZE INTELLIGENCE, uh, AND THAT'S a, ANOTHER RISK TO THE COUNTRY.
2: With just a few days to go, the Trump administration is reportedly installing a GOP operative at the National Security Agency, uh, which oversees, uh, as you know, some cyber and signals intelligence. Do you have any indication what the intent is there?
7: I think it's very clear this is part of the administration's effort to embed people in the civil servants uh, who are political and partisan actors who don't belong there. In this case, Michael Ellis, WAS MENTIONED IN ONE OF THE ARTICLES OF IMPEACHMENT. HE WAS INVOLVED IN THE MIDNIGHT RUN. HE WAS INVOLVED IN PUTTING THAT UKRAINE uh, CALL RECORD IN A SECURE COMPUTER SYSTEM WHERE IT DIDN'T BELONG uh, TO TO CONCEAL THAT EVIDENCE. Uh, YES. Uh, SO THERE'S NO WAY THAT SOMEONE LIKE MICHAEL ELLIS SHOULD BE CONFIRMED uh, OR APPOINTED OR HIRED FOR A CAREER CIVIL SERVICE POSITION. Uh, particularly if there were other applicants, which they were, that were more highly rated.
2: Very quickly, when will the Speaker of the House send the articles of impeachment to the Senate for this impeachment?
7: Well, that'll be the Speaker's decision. Uh, You know, I'll leave the strategy uh, to her and to Jamie Raskin and that incredibly talented team. Uh, This is, you know, obviously uh, the most serious... CRIME AGAINST OUR COUNTRY AND CONSTITUTION OF ANY PRESIDENT IN HISTORY. YEAH. Uh, AND THE FACT THAT IT TOOK PLACE IN THE LAST MONTH DOESN'T MAKE IT ANY LESS SERIOUS. Uh, THERE NEEDS TO BE FULL ACCOUNTABILITY, uh, AND I HOPE AND PRAY THAT THE SENATE WILL UPHOLD THEIR DUTY AND THEIR OATH uh, WHEN THAT CASE IS TRIED.
2: THANK YOU FOR YOUR TIME THIS MORNING. WE GO NOW TO ST. PAUL, MINNESOTA, WHERE SECURITY AT THAT STATE CAPITOL HAS ALSO BEEN INCREASED. THE MAYOR, MELVIN CARTER, IS HERE WITH US NOW. GOOD MORNING TO YOU, MR. MAYOR.
8: Good morning. Thanks for having me on.
2: Well, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, but we did see the FBI put out a bulletin warning about your city, about your state. Uh, you run the capital. What exactly are you preparing for?
8: You know, we did see that bulletin that put us on a state of high alert uh, that we've been on, anyways. As we saw, the we of course watched uh, what unfolded in Washington, D.C. earlier this week. Uh, the FBI is now telling us they don't see any specific credible threats, but we know that we're in a volatile moment. Uh, we know that we have a president who has continued to egg on uh, these uh, extreme radicals uh, to try to take action. And so we have uh, worked very closely with our Minnesota National Guard, uh, with our State Patrol and our St. Paul Police Department to have uh, hundreds of uh, law enforcement personnel on duty, not just to protect our capital complex, but our Capitol complex is situated inside a set of diverse and multilingual neighborhoods that deserve that type of protection as well.
2: Well, the FBI reportedly had specifically cited the Boogaloo movement uh, and members of having gone out and basically cased the state capitol last month to identify escape points and defensible positions where violence uh, might occur. Have you seen any evidence of organized groups, of militias active in your area? Where are they coming from?
8: You know, we have seen since Election Day repeated demonstrations at our state Capitol as well as at our governor's residence uh, that have included several individuals who have chosen that time uh, to show up with rifles and other firearms uh, in a show of, in, to try to be intimidating. Frankly, uh, it's unclear how organized they are. It's unclear uh, how much of that is attributable to the Blue Blue Boys or any other kind of specific group. But again, we're on high alert because of the general volatility. Our FBI is telling us they are tracking those individuals who they think are, uh, may have been kind of presenting those kind of specific threats. uh, And they're at a space right now where we continue to be on a state of high readiness because this moment is just so insane. Uh, but they're telling us they feel confident that we're prepared to handle the public safety mission at our capital and our surrounding neighborhood.
2: You spoke this week about your personal reaction to seeing the Confederate flag dragged into the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And you said this insurrection was a blossoming of flowers that have been planted and watered very intentionally that existed in our country for a very long time. What are you talking about there?
8: Well, we know, and I, I think back to a decade ago when we were having the discussion of whether uh, America is a post-racial society or not, uh, which hopefully we know now is a ridiculous notion. Uh, we know that the, the, the emotions, uh, that the frustrations, that the hatred that we saw pour out uh, in front of our U.S. Capitol uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, has been simmering underneath the surfaces. Uh, and my hope is that we as Americans Uh, finally take that head on, Uh, finally really meaningfully address the legacy of race that we have in our country, the continued impacts of our history of systemic racism and systemic oppression so that we can build a country that really takes seriously the three words that founded our democracy, we the people, meaning Mm -hmm. all of us.
2: You see that racism specifically as a contributing factor to the insurrection. Is that what you're saying?
8: I think it's very clear uh, that when we hear people say things like, take back our country, it seems to me that they don't understand uh, what America really is, who America really is, and who Americans really are. Uh, It seems to me that as we've had a large conversation about the double standards of law enforcement that have been on display, uh, as we've seen the bias of one elected leader translate into a completely different treatment of people who came out to say uh, yeah. that George Floyd never should have been murdered versus people who come out uh, rallied by our president uh, to try to literally overthrow the capital of the United States. We have seen the impacts of race over in our country over the last year Indeed. play out in ways that I'm hopeful that we can no longer uh, deny.
2: Very quickly uh, on COVID, your governor accused the Trump administration about lying regarding vaccine doses. Minnesota has fallen behind in being able to distribute what they do have. Do you as mayor need to take control of that? As 37 other mayors around the country are asking to get a direct line of supply.
8: You know, we're fortunate that we have a strong relationship with our governor here in Minnesota. We've been working closely on the COVID response We worked closely to get National Guard troops uh, mobilized for this weekend Uh, and so we're working closely on this crisis. It does so you don't
2: need to take control.
8: It's another proof point that the president will be dangerous until the moment he leaves office, uh, yeah. and we're working, we're scrambling. Our healthcare providers are working hard okay. uh, to develop a plan B so that we can move forward as a state.
2: All right, Mr. Mayor, good luck to you. And we want to go now to the Republican Governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice. He joins us from Charleston. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, I want to talk good about morning. I want to talk about your work on COVID nineteen and distributing the vaccine. But first, I have to ask you about politics. Do you believe that your party, the Republican Party, remains the party of President Trump after he leaves office January 20th?
4: Well, I don't know, Margaret, you know, because to be perfectly honest, you know, there's uh, division all across our country right now. There's no question if we just step back and just look at it, you know, are we doing stuff the right way? I mean, at the end of the day, we've got the division. We know where we're at. And we've got all kinds of problems. We need to absolutely lay down our arms as far as Republicans and Democrats and quit pivoting ourselves against one another like that. At some point in time, we've got to realize we're Americans. And I don't say that lightly. I just don't say that as gobbledygook because I'm not a politician. I've never been that. And I speak the truth. And and so, first and foremost, Americans need to be united, not divided.
2: Okay. Not a politician. Then you're going to give me a straight answer on the question then uh, of whether you think the president should continue to be leading the Republican Party, given that he continues to not clearly say Joe Biden is the fairly elected president of the United States.
4: Well, I would say this. There's no question that all the experts and judges... All the judges, er, you know, all the courts, everybody has said that we had an election and Joe Biden is our president. We should respect that in, yeah. every, in every way. I would, I would say, first and foremost, no question that our president has gotten out over his skis many, many different times. But really, it's the people's decision. It's not my decision to weigh in. All I am doing is just stirring the pot when I weigh in. I want us to be together. Yeah. Forget Republican and Democrat.
2: Sir, I want to ask you about your ability to distribute almost 70 percent of the vaccine doses that you have received from the federal government. You've used the National Guard to do it, something Joe Biden wants other states to consider doing. What can they do that your general workforce cannot?
4: Well, Margaret, just think about this. For the last week or so, we've been running not at 70 percent. We're running it right at 100 percent. Right now, We're at 98.1% as far as vaccines in people's arms or names tied to it, you know, that are gonna be put into people's arms immediately. We're saving all kinds of lives. We're putting our our kids back in school. West Virginia has been the diamond in the rough that a lot of people have missed. You know, we're first in the nation on being able to test all the people in our nursing homes and on and on and on. Absolutely, that's why we're leading the nation because we are practical thinking people a lot of really smart people here that are getting it done
2: well i want to ask you about the specifics of that because a lot of governors are trying to figure this out you decided not to go with the federal program to use cvs and walgreens to vaccinate in nursing homes so you decided not to follow the trump administration's plan why did you go that route
4: because really and truly there's so many people that depend on their local health departments their local pharmacies Absolutely, our ability to bring in the National Guard. You know, just think about it just for a second. You know, what we did is a lot of governors sat on their hands trying to 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 come up with a system or a formula of what they were gonna do. We didn't sit on our hands. I mean we acted. We brought our local our local pharmacies in, we brought our local you know, health departments Mm -hmm. in, we brought our national guard in, and we started putting shots in people's arms arms because this thing is all about age, so age, age. Would you tell, That's all there is to it.
2: So would you tell other governors to throw out the federal government's guidelines?
4: Well, if if what we're going to do is create a bureaucracy with federal government guidelines and everything when we know this is about age, age, and age, we've got to get shots in people's arms. And every day we put a shot in somebody's arm, we're saving a life. Yeah. You know, we need to get at it. I mean, that's all there is to it.
2: All right, Governor Justice, thank you for your insight and your time today. Coming up next, we'll look at that new strain of coronavirus, plus our poll. What's on Americans' minds heading into the new administration? In our next half hour, we'll tell you about a new project from us here at Face the Nation, plus new CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky and Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Stay with us. back to Face the Nation. There are growing concerns about B117. That's the new strain of the coronavirus first discovered in the United Kingdom. So far, the highest number of cases from that strain have been found in California. CBS News correspondent Jamie Yukis is in hard hit L.A. County.
10: Margaret LA County is home to half of the COVID related deaths in the state and roughly one in three here have been infected with the virus since the pandemic began. It's also home to Dodger Stadium. Now the largest vaccination site in the country. It's been a slow start for vaccinations in California, but officials believe by next week, healthcare workers in the state will be able to administer 40,000 doses a day.
3: There's a little bit of waiting, but the actual vaccination went really fast and it was painless,
10: but there are mounting concerns. The supply of vaccine doses could run out. California, like other states nationwide, was expecting an uptick in shipments after the federal government promised to unleash a reserve supply.
5: They have renewed on that or, for whatever reason, are unable to deliver on that.
10: The Trump administration says governors misunderstood.
5: We're not sitting on a reserve
0: anymore. We've made that available to the states to order.
10: Hospitalization rates in California have fallen, but many hospitals are still well over capacity, with a Californian dying of coronavirus every three minutes. The pressure to get people vaccinated across the country is mounting as a new CDC study shows a more contagious strain of coronavirus first discovered in the UK could become the dominant strain in the US by March.
6: If this virus does have a higher reproduction number, if it is more transmissible, that makes it harder to control.
10: Dr. Anthony Fauci is distraught that with the US death toll topping nearly 4,000 a day, some still don't believe the disease is real.
5: I think the answer is not going to be to just blow them aside and say you're crazy. We've got to engage and figure out what is it that separated us so profoundly.
10: Despite the growing push to get as many Americans vaccinated as quickly as possible, this is a race against time, with thousands still dying from the virus every day. The US is expected to surpass
2: 400,000 deaths this week. Margaret. Jamie Yukas, thank you. Worldwide, we've now passed two million deaths due to this pandemic. Liz Palmer reports from London.
11: Good morning. Ambitious vaccination programs are now getting underway on almost every continent, though, as you might expect, they're moving ahead fastest in the rich countries of the developed world, where the United Kingdom is one of the front runners. this week historic churches in england became vaccination centers as the organ played local elderly people got their shots in salisbury cathedral we've been on this site for 800 years for 800 years uh, we've been about two things giving glory to god and serving the people of this city and region the uk is now on track to have all medical frontline workers and those over 80 done by mid-february in the developing world, India's leading the way. Hospital worker Manish Kumar got the very first shot this week. There are 300 million more on the first wave priority list. But there's a confidence problem. Many don't trust one of the vaccines, not because it was developed in India, but because it was rolled out before trials ended. Then there are countries like South Africa which must still focus on treatment because they haven't got a single vaccine dose. And this just as a new, more contagious strain is racing across the continent. Another new strain has emerged in the Amazon, overwhelming Brazilian hospitals. And it's a worry because no one yet knows if the current vaccines are effective against it. Meanwhile, in China, the World Health Organization's team finally landed in Wuhan to examine the origins of the virus. But two of them tested positive, and the rest are in quarantine until the end of the month. Because of those new coronavirus mutations, more stringent travel restrictions are springing up here in the UK, for example. Nobody is going to be allowed in as of Monday unless they can show a negative test less than three days old. Margaret?
2: Liz Palmer in London, thank you. We want to go now to the incoming Biden administration's CDC director. That's Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She is also the chief of infectious diseases at Massachusetts General Hospital. She joins us from Boston. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning, Margaret. Thanks for having me. We are already at 4,000. Uh, cases a day. The outgoing CDC director, deaths a day. The outgoing CDC director says what we're about to be in the worst months. Do you agree with his forecast that it's going to get worse?
9: Unfortunately, I do. Um, I think that you know we've, we've, as you noted, nearly 4,000 deaths a day, almost 400,000 deaths total by the middle of February. We expect half a million deaths in this country that doesn't speak to the tens of thousands of people who are living with a yet uncharacterized syndrome after they've been reco- after they've recovered. Um, and we still yet haven't seen um, the ramifications of what happened from the holiday travel, from holiday gathering in terms of high rates of hospitalizations and the deaths thereafter.
2: So yes, I, I think we still have some dark weeks ahead. How often is the public going to hear from you? Are you going to brief regularly?
9: Um, I will brief as often as uh, I can, as often as new information comes. I also wanna make sure that the subject matter experts at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who have been reading and reviewing the literature, understanding the science, you hear from them. Um, When there are new things to report, you will hear from somebody at the CDC, and
2: it may very well be me. Well, we hope to continue to get that new information, doctor, uh, because there's a lot of questions right now about these reports of new strains out of the UK, out of Brazil, out of South Africa. Um, What are you hearing? What concerns you about these new strains?
9: So the first thing I want to indicate is that viruses mutate. We've known for a long time that viruses mutate. It's not just coronavirus, it's many viruses. And they mutate when they're under pressure. There is a lot of pressure right now because there's a lot of virus circulating out there, especially in this country. When we see these mutations, we worry about several things. We worry about whether they're increasing, they have increased transmissibility. We worry about whether they have increased morbidity and mortality. We worry about whether they will um, evade our mechanisms of either treatment or our vaccines. Um, So far the one from the UK looks like it is more transmissible. We don't have any more information about whether it um, evades our vaccines. We have indication that it likely does not. Um, But what increased transmissibility means is there are more cases and therefore more deaths. There are certainly uh, further studies that are looking at the South Africa strain, at the Brazil strain, at other strains in Nigeria. And one of the things that this really demonstrates is our need to be vigilant and to have resources to do the surveillance, to make sure we understand what strains are here Mm -hmm. and whether we have increased transmissibility and vaccine, you know, efficacy.
2: The CEO of Eli Lilly has said that they have indications that the uh, South African strain at least shows some resistance to current treatments. Do you have indication that it does as well?
9: I have heard the, the Lilly antibody, this is the monoclonal antibody that we've been using to, to um, for early stage disease. And I have heard similar things. Um, it is one antibody. The Regeneron is an antibody cocktail. And I think that there is concern that not just the South African and the Brazilian strain, but other future strains might have resistance to those antibodies. Not, not taking off all efficacy, but decreasing their efficacy. It,
2: You you just said something I want to go back to on the question of surveillance, and that is basically, why don't we as a country have a better system to detect which virus, which mutation and where it is? How are you going to fix that?
9: You know, I think this really just gets to the resources that are necessary in this country for an adequate public health infrastructure at baseline, and one for an infrastructure when we are in the middle of a pandemic. We didn't have one at baseline, and we certainly don't have one now during a pandemic. And one of the, re- one of the things I'm really going to advocate for, and I know the president-elect is advocating for, is to make sure that we have the resources for our public health system so that we can do the surveillance that is necessary for that
2: testing. You can set that up quickly enough? They're working on it right now. The president-elect has said that he's going to release all available vaccine supplies when he gets inaugurated. But then this week, there was just confusion about how much vaccine supply there actually is, whether or not there's a federal stockpile. Do you have a clear answer yet on how much vaccine supply this country has?
9: We have looked carefully and we are uh, confident that we have enough vaccine. Uh, for the 100 million doses over the next 100 days. Um, That is what the president-elect has promised. It will be a hefty lift, but we have it in us to do that. And in order to do that, we have to look at the supply for sure. We have to titrate and make sure that there are uh, enough people getting vaccinated, but not too many as to overwhelm the system, so looking at our eligibility. And we have to make sure that there are enough vaccinators. I know that the president-elect has committed to use the Defense Production Act to make sure that where there are, any bottlenecks in that supply, um, we we will, you know, address those bottlenecks. Are there bottlenecks uh, right now? Is there a production production problem with vaccines? You know, I think that there are bottlenecks in in different places across the entire system. As you look across the states in distribution, you know, different states are having different challenges. How much is being rolled out to each state, whether those states have um, adequate personnel, whether those states are getting uh, vaccine to pharmacies. And our job is to make sure that with the entire support of the federal government that we get, we address all of those bottlenecks wherever we are so we can get back vaccine into people's arms.
2: has said he wants to try in his first 100 days to also reopen schools in that K through eight age range, Uh, yet we're looking at Europe right now and they're reversing course in the UK. They're actually closing schools after they had been keeping them open. Uh, Given the new information about the new strains, is it still realistic to think you can reopen schools?
9: You know, I think that this is a, an, uh, a goal that the president-elect has. I share the goal. We are going to look carefully. One of the things we want to do is make sure that we can vaccinate our education, our educators and people in our school systems. We certainly don't want to open schools if they are not safe. Among the things that we have to do is make sure that we have um, our transmission and our, our disease rates come down in those first 100 days between vaccinating the teachers, resources that are necessary to get those schools um, adequately equipped um, and getting our K through eight kids back. That, that is the anticipated
2: goal. Doctor, thank you for your time today. And we hope to have you back as CDC director to inform the public. We wanna go now to former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He sits on the board of Pfizer and Illumina which is a company that is working on sequencing the virus variants. He is in Westport, Connecticut this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. You just heard the incoming CDC director say 500,000 deaths by mid-February, that this will get worse. Do you agree?
12: Yeah, I think tragically that's right. What we're likely to see is infections start to decline. I think we're seeing it right now. We're seeing a near-term peak in terms of the number of New Delhi cases. Now, unfortunately, deaths and hospitalizations will continue to grow over the next two or three weeks because they're a lagging indicator. But we'll see continued declines probably for about four weeks, maybe five weeks, until this new variant starts to take over. Right now, this new variant is about 0.5% of all infections nationally. There's hot spots in Southern California and Florida that may be closer to 1%. But it's going to double uh, every week so it's about doubling every week that's the experience from other countries and that's the experience we've seen so far in the united states so it's one percent now it'll be two percent then four percent then eight percent then 16 percent then 32 percent so in about five weeks this is going to start to take over the only backstop against this new variant is the fact that we will have a lot of infection by then so there'll be a lot of immunity in the population and we will be vaccinating more people But this really changes the equation, and I think what we're looking at is a relentless strike from this virus heading into the spring, whereas infections really would have started to decline in the spring. We would have had a quiet spring. We could have persistently high levels of infection in the spring until we finally get enough people vaccinated.
2: I want to clarify there because we just spoke with the incoming CDC director who recognized that there is not a good surveillance system in place to figure out these new mutations. The numbers you're citing, they're from the private sector.
12: Well, Illumina, the company that I'm on a board of, is doing a lot of the sequencing work right now. And unfortunately, the sample's very small. We should be sampling about 5% of all the positive cases. We're doing a lot less than that. We're doing well under 1%. We haven't found any of the B1351 variant. That's the South African and Brazilian variant. But we have just started looking for it. What we're finding is B117. So it's about 0.3 to 0.5% of all infections as of this weekend, data that's available right now. Um, but it's going to increase. And we've seen it double already week over week. So this information is available. Illumina has tweeted some of it out. Their partner Helix has tweeted some of it it out. They're working with CDC on this. So the data is starting to be available. But as the CDC director said, we're not doing a lot of surveillance work right now. So we're probably not detecting the full scope of what's underway in this country.
2: Americans now, aged two years old and up, will have to show proof of a negative COVID test to re-enter this country, even if they're a citizen. Um, Will that make a difference, these kind of travel restrictions, in reducing these other strains from permeating?
12: Well, it's going to have some impact. I think it's hard to estimate how much it's going to really affect introduction into the United States. And the bottom line is these strains are already here. Even B1351 is probably in the United States now, even though we haven't detected yet. I think testing people as they come in, you're going to catch some cases, but it's also going to be a deterrent. People who think they might be infected or might have been exposed to someone who's been infected, they know there's a surveillance system in place they're going to be less likely to get on a plane because they're not going to get, want to get caught in a quarantine. So I think it's going to be more effective as a deterrent than actually catching positive cases as they come in. But it's something, it, you know, it's something that we can do. I just think we need to be honest with ourselves mm-hmm. that these strains are here right now. And we need to start taking action. You know, the simple things are still gonna work, wearing masks, uh, avoiding crowds, and the quality of the mask really matters right now. If you wear a higher quality mask with this new infection, that's gonna be very important.
2: That means surgical or N95 and B1351 is what you're calling South African strain, is that correct?
12: Right. Okay. Right, that's the South African and the Brazilian strain.
2: And the Brazilian, okay. Uh, everyone take notes. Um, I want to get you to the vaccine now because this just puts more and more pressure on getting protection out there for people. What is the bottom line? I I asked the incoming CDC director if she had a good read on supply. She still thinks they can hit that 100 million mark with vaccinations. You sit on the board of Pfizer. What do you know about supply?
12: Yeah, I think they will hit that 100 million mark. I think the issue is going to become demand. I think they're going to have the supply in place and the distribution in place to do that. Right now, 30 million doses have been shipped to the states about another 15 will be made available to the states as of this tuesday and five million have been ordered by the states but not yet shipped so that's a total of 50 million doses and it was a very small bolus i think the plan that the new administration put out makes a lot of sense it's sort of an all the above approach what we've been talking about trying to push this through different channels like the big box stores like pharmacies i'm mm-hmm. um, trying to set up more federally chartered sites in, in conjunction with the states you look at a state like connecticut the state that i live in i think that they've been taking that approach and you see it working where they've turned to the national guard early They set up a diversity of sites to distribute this. They've targeted high-risk groups, high-need groups, but they've also recognized that every vaccination is important. And so when people got vaccinated out of turn, they didn't impose fines. They didn't impose penalties. They didn't impose restrictions. They tried to get out all the supply. And the state's been successful. It's one of the leading states in the country Mm -hmm. right now in terms of getting people vaccinated. I think the federal plan that that the Biden administration is modeling builds off what some states that have done well have done.
2: Those numbers you were citing, that's according to Pfizer? That's according to Operation Warp Speed?
12: Well, that's according to Operation Warp Speed. And I obviously have some insight into the one manufacturer, Pfizer, sitting on the board. I do think that there's ways that the administration can work with the companies to increase supply. It's going to take time, but there's machines that can help produce more vaccine. as inputs that they can try to increase the supply of. And there might be things you could do on the fill finishing um, as you bottle the vaccines, trying to get additional doses out of the way you bottle the vaccines, making that process more efficient. I think it's gonna be slow, um, but I think we can potentially eke out more supply with a full court press on all the different things that you can do to try to increase the inputs and the outputs here.
2: All right, Dr. Gottlieb, thank you as always for your insight. We'll be back in a moment. We want to take a look at what's on the minds of Americans as we begin a new administration in these very troubled times. CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto is in Westchester County, New York. Good morning to you, Anthony. We are on the verge of a big change politically, but Americans are on edge. What do they see as the biggest threat to them right now?
6: Yeah. Good morning, Margaret. It is indeed a portrait of a country on edge after the events of the last few weeks. When we asked that very question, what is the biggest threat to your way of life right now, more so than foreign adversaries, more so than things from the natural world, disasters, even viruses? People said it was other people in America domestic enemies. And have a look at this. Even though the capital is certainly on edge this week, Americans feel that political violence may increase over the next few years. So hardly out of the woods. And more broadly, Margaret, I would say that although we'll hear a lot about political divisions and a divided country rightly in the next few weeks, you know, Americans feel that democracy itself is threatened and very few report that they feel that it's secure these are much more fundamental concerns margaret
2: anthony it's so disturbing what you're laying out here is there is there any sense that it's going to get any better with the biden administration
6: well there certainly is optimism majority optimism about the next four years with joe biden as president i would say these these are very partisan divisions but it is there Now, the other thing to look at is Joe Biden's opposition in Congress, the Republicans. And here is a party that also seems very much divided. Look, half of Republicans, their rank and file, want their party in Congress to try to find common ground with the Biden administration. But half want them to oppose him as much as possible. And you take a look at this, where half of Republicans say they will still not consider Joe Biden as the legitimate president, EVEN AFTER HE IS SWORN IN. AND WHO ARE THESE FOLKS? WELL, THIS HALF ARE MORE LIKELY TO BE THE STRONGEST DONALD TRUMP SUPPORTERS, THE KINDS OF FOLKS WE'VE SEEN OVER THE LAST FEW YEARS WHO EVEN CONSIDER THEMSELVES TO BE DONALD TRUMP SUPPORTERS FIRST, EVEN MORE SO THAN REPUBLICANS, MARGARET.
2: SO THAT SUGGESTS THAT PRESIDENT TRUMP'S GRIP ON THE REPUBLICAN PARTY DOESN'T GO AWAY WHEN HE LEAVES OFFICE?
6: It really doesn't, at least not in part, at least not for that sort of core base of the base. In fact, when we talked about impeachment, these are the folks who were more likely to say that the Republicans who voted for impeachment were not principled, but were disloyal. Margaret?
2: Anthony Salvanto, thank you for your insight. We'll be right back. Big news from us here at Face the Nation. We're launching a new podcast this Friday called Facing Forward, I'll be talking with the business leaders and policymakers who make the decisions that impact every American. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching, and we will see you Wednesday for the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. Our special coverage begins at 9 a.m. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were California Democratic Congressman and Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, Democratic Mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota, Melvin Carter, Republican Governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice, incoming CDC Director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, and former FDA Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also broadcast on our digital network, CBSN.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com
3: survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Autotrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you
5: wait. Auto Trader. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed.
10: My mom was amazing.
0: But detectives would soon discover. Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A
5: story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
11: I am just praying to God this is
5: a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery+.